Hey thinkers, welcome to this week's Thinking Podcast. I'm your host, Jeffrey Wu, and I have one of my most you know, anticipated guests on, Dr. Thomas Siegfried of Boston College. And he has been doing very interesting work and quite controversial in raising cancer, one of the, you know, probably one of the biggest diseases facing us as a species, uh, not as just a genetic disease, but perhaps a metabolic disease. Uh, so let's dive into that meaty topic. So Thomas, uh, loved for you to, you know, unpack that a little bit for me. What, is, what does that mean for, for the lay folks out there who might not, you know, have read about uh, read up on your on your studies yeah well i i think thank you very much it's a it's nice to be here today um <clears throat> well cancer I, as you as you mentioned i think everybody almost everybody in the world has an, has a word for understands cancer i mean it's it's not you could go almost any population on the planet and mention that word and somebody would understand essentially what you're talking about it's right. so so then then the question is uh how does it arise? Where are we getting this disease from? Why is the disease reaching epidemic proportions? Um, you know, what's going on with this? We, we have a serious problem today. Uh, according to the American Cancer Society, in the United States alone, we have 1,000, over 1,600 people are dying every day from this disease. I, I would call this a problem. And in, in China, it, it's like 8,000 people a day. It's in Europe, each country has, we're dying uh, in large numbers from something that is universally known as cancer, right? right. I mean, this is, this is the thing. So the, the question is, I mean, we're spending hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars all over the world in trying to figure out uh, what to do about this disease and where do, and does anyone ask where all that money is going? Uh, what, what are people doing with all those hundreds of millions? Of, I don't think there's any, right. ever been another situation where so much money has been raised by so many people to which for so little, effect. For so little, if any, but no effect. Yeah. We're getting, it's right. getting worse. Right. Right. The more money we raise to study cancer, the more cancer we get. <laughs> right. So right. Wh what's what's wrong with this picture? I mean, basically, right. why, why, why is this picture so distorted? One would think, you know, oh, we can we can throw money at a problem and, and the problem will eventually go away. We have an infrastructure problem in the United States. We're trying to raise money for infrastructure. So we're going to build new roads and new bridges and the money. Eventually, you're going to see new roads and new bridges. What would happen if we threw $100 million a day into infrastructure and the roads got worse? The more money we gave into infrastructure, the more bridges are falling apart. People say, what's going on here? Right. Corruption yep. or someone's incompetence. So, Something incompetence, corruption. You know, well, why don't we, why don't we use the same criteria to ask what's going on with this cancer thing? Right. Right. I mean, uh, we're running for breast cancer. We're running for lung cancer. We're swimming. We're jogging. Everybody feels good. Uh, the people who feel best are the ones who are running and jogging. You know, um, <laughs> you know they get healthy doing that stuff. Uh, right. But but it's a tragedy. It's a tragedy that doesn't need to happen. And uh, the, the, the problem is, is that we have 
um, uh, been led down the wrong path as to what the nature of this disease is. Right. It sounds like you're very much thinking about this from first principles. I think that's one thing yeah. that we constantly talk about in Silicon Valley or from an engineer's approach. Okay. Yeah. If the fun like what is the fundamental problem here? If like all of our interventions don't work, well, let's look at first principles. Right. The first principle is that cancer is a mitochondrial metabolic disease. And this view is absolutely obtuse to the view that cancer is a genetic disease. So the therapies that we're using and the massive research effort on the part of the major medical schools, the federal government and the pharmaceutical industry is the view that cancer is a genetic disease. So the therapies that we're developing are designed to try to stop the proliferative signaling that these cells have. So they're at growing out of control. That's the signature. The signature issue of cancer are cells that don't respond to growth signals anymore. They're unresponsive. They continue to proliferate. And then we throw everything at them, including the kitchen sink, and, and the patient ends up dead or, or seriously injured as the result of what we try to do to stomp out the, the, the growth of the cells. I'm not, right. I'm not saying that every person in the country who gets cancer is going to die from cancer. But, but the issue is, as many of these people are poked and prodded and stuck and poisoned and, and, and uh, you know, mutilated in, in the name of trying to cure them. And in many cases, uh, people emerge. By the grace of God, they emerge from this. And they say, I'm now a cancer survivor. Right. And most cancer survivors um, have been have been brutalized in one way or another. I mean, yeah. even though they say, well, you know, the treatment wasn't that bad, and all this kind of stuff. But they were treated with toxic chemicals or radiotherapy or some surgical mutilation uh, and they've survived. But I'll tell you, their body remembers. OK, their body definitely remembers. And all of those treatments for the so-called survivors impact in one way or another, on the health and vitality of their body, the so-called survivors. The poor people, the 1,600 people a day dying, uh, were not so fortunate. They, they probably endured a horrific uh, litany uh, of exposures and treatments over a number of different years, and finally their body just gave up and, and, and they, couldn't, they could no longer uh, withstand the treatments um, from what they were experiencing. So this is what we have. We have, a, we have a lot of cancer survivors, and we have a lot of people dying every day. You, you know, and they don't say that, listen, uh, if, if we recognize this is a metabolic disease, and we have a very clear strategy as how we're going to stop this disease, and we're not going to hurt you. Now, yep. who hears that? No one, right? You don't yeah. any top medical school, and they're, to, they're going to tell you, listen, Mr. So-and-so, Mrs. Mrs. So-and-so, we have a therapy here that we will gradually remove the tumor cells from your body without toxicity. It, it, you're going to have to play a significant role in the management of your disease, but we'll be here to help you. We're going to guide you through this system, and it's going to involve a series of, of procedures that are not toxic, not harmful, and some drugs that are going to be very minimally uh, uh, dosed, so you won't have right. to suffer in any significant way. And it's going to be it's going to require some level of participation on you, Mrs. So-and-so, for, right. for you to collect some of the information that we're going to need so that we can make the appropriate adjustments in your care so that you end up uh, through this process actually healthier than when you started. Right now, this is the plan that will absolutely work for the majority of people. 
So why, when you go to the Cancer Treatment Centers of America, Dana-Farber Cancer Center in Boston, MD Anderson in Texas, UCSF where you are, right? Sloan Kettering in New York City. Why do you right. hear that? Why don't, so people say, well, that's preposterous. There's no evidence for this. And I said, yes, there is plenty of evidence. You just choose not to look at it. Right. <laughs> and there's no money from the pharma companies for talking about nutritional ketosis as a way to, as an intervention. Well, you know, a, a lot of people raise this point. I, I, I think that if we, if we, if, if the society, every member of our society, man, woman, and child comes to the, to the realization that my disease cannot be effectively managed unless it can generate significant revenue for the pharmaceutical industry. Uh, and I'm okay with that. Uh, but that's uh, so. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That, that's a, that's a fucked up society, right? Like we should change society if that, if it really is like that. Well, that's the situation here. Right. So, so when we look at a cancer patient today, we say you are, uh, we're sorry that you have this disease, but, right. but look at the, look at the, at the good side, your sickness is maintaining a major powerful industry in this country. No one cares. The, the, yeah. This is basically what it is. Yeah, you, you, that's, that's interesting way to look at uh, it. Yeah. I, you, look, you have to look at this in many different ways. And the issue is, is, that, is that we are, as a society, accepting of this philosophy because we are not told or educated in understanding the biological nature of the disease. Right. Okay. And when you look at the top medical journals and research articles, you know, it, it goes over the, over the head of most people. It's right. mesmerizing. Look at all these little figures and diagrams and, and look at all this kind of stuff they were doing to these people. Oh, I never right. figured this. I got to leave it to the experts. Right. Well, who are these experts? If they're so expert, how come all these people are dying all the time? Right. So uh, obviously when you say, oh, he's an expert in cancer. Well, then why is the disease keep increasing every year? If it yeah, I mean, like, yeah, proving the pudding. If, if you're an expert, you should be solving or making traction against yeah, it. Yeah, or he says, well, you know, my patients survive long. So why do you think that the genetic explanation uh, is has been so sticky? I mean, so basically, as a summary, sort of the genetic basis or the explanation is that there's some mutation in the DNA in the cell that 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 mutates it and it ends up proliferating because yeah. it's uncontrollable growth yeah. and then you have these cancerous cells that turn into tumors and these tumors break off into more cells and metastasizes and you you die because you have all these like yeah yeah bad cells floating around right right well that, why why is why is that explanation so sticky and then yeah and, and i'd love for you to explain yeah, yeah so so i mean we're not denying that there's genetic mutations in the cancer cells the tumor cells are loaded with genetic mutation. I mean, you look at a cancer cell, the genome is shot to hell, as, as many, many scientists have said, right? right? So, but they think that's the cause. They think that's the, the, the origin of the problem of it. That's an effect. That's an effect. It's a downstream epiphenomenon. The genome goes to hell because the cell can't develop, produce energy the way it used to produce right. energy. So you're studying effects, not causes. So, so it, for example, let's, let's just briefly consider where does cancer come from? How do you get cancer? Many people can get cancer from many different ways. Uh, okay, some people work in a tetrahydrochloride factory. They get exposed to a chemical. Oh my God, you got a brain tumor. There's a link between that chemical and brain cancer by epidemiological analysis. So there's a real sure. possibility your job gave you that tumor. Okay, so you got that tumor because you were exposed to this chemical. Somebody else may get a tumor because they've been exposed to urethane or some other carcinogen. So we have a whole list of so-called carcinogens. Those carcinogens damage the respiration in the cell. So we're alive, and I'm talking to you, 
you and you're talking to me because we're breathing air. If you hold your breath for about five minutes, you will not be talking to me. All right. Your face will be purple and you'll fall out of your chair. Pass right. Out. right? Yeah. yeah. Right. Me too. Yeah. I'm going to hold my breath all of a sudden. Oh, <laughs> what happened to him? Oh, he stopped breathing. Well, well yeah. what happens when you stop breathing? Well, your, your cells start dying. Right. I mean, yeah. so so. What happens in cancer is that these chemicals, it could be a radiation, uh, it could be a viral infection, it could be uh, inflammation, systemic inflammation in the body, it could be uh, old or age, gets damaged, the respiration, whatever happens in multiple different ways, we our, our cells, a group of cells in a particular organ, in a particular patient, person, stop breathing effectively. Okay, now I just said if you stop breathing effectively and oxygen just goes away acutely, those cells are dead. Yep. You can never get a tumor from a dead cell. So what happens is these insults, the chemical carcinogen, the virus or the age or the inflammation, or the hypoxia, all the different causes that we know, don't acutely damage the ability of that cell to breathe. It happens slowly, okay? So what happens now is the cell, in order to stay alive, has to find an, another way to get energy. And that way of energy is called fermentation, energy without oxygen, energy mm. without oxygen. Oh, where did you get that from? Where did energy without oxygen come from? There were, our earth is very old, okay? People have to know that the earth is like three and a half billion years old. Right. We, had, we had organisms on our planet that were happy and living in an atmosphere that had no oxygen. Right. They were fermenting. When oxygen came into the environment, organisms started to breathe air, oxygen. All right. So what these cancer cells are doing are falling back on an ancient pathway to get energy without oxygen. And what happens, what, what were those organisms doing three, uh, two and a half billion years ago when there was no oxygen? Guess what? They were growing like crazy. There was unbridled proliferation. What else do we know has unbridled proliferation? A cancer, cancer cell. Yep. Okay, so the cancer cell is falling back on an ancient pathway, which was associated with unbridled proliferation. And this is right. what's happening. Now, what did those ancient cells eat to grow so fast? Sugars. Sugars and amino acids. Right? right. That was what was in the soup, in the, in the environment. Today, right. we have processed foods. We have all kinds of wonderful things that make us feel good in our environment, right? Right. So, it, so when you look at a bunch of cancer cells that are growing like crazy, the first thing you say is, what are they eating? Where, what, are, what are they using to grow so fast? And they're using glucose and glutamine and ancient these amino acids. Right. Oh, what happens when I take glucose and glutamine away from the cancer cells? They die. Right. Very simple. Okay. How do I, how do I, how do I do that in a person who's has a tumor? Okay. Well, you put them on a calorie restricted ketogenic diet that lowers blood sugar and raises a ketone. Well, what's this ketone thing? If you stop eating for several days, your body, uh, all the fat that we store in our butt in our gut and area places, right? Our body right. takes that, brings it to our liver breaks it down like putting a, a log into a wood chipper. So you take these long chain fatty acids and chop them up into these little water stable right. things and they go and they support the energy in our, in our, because we're breathing oxygen. They're beautiful fuels for that. 
The, guess right. what? The cancer cell can't breathe. The cancer cell can't use those things. Right. right. So what is the cancer cell using? It's using glucose and this other thing called amino acid, uh, glutamine. The most right. abundant amino acid in our body is glutamine. So the tumor cell now to survive is taking in glucose and glutamine. And, and they're surviving like crazy. But, but if you lower the blood sugar and you force them to force feed them these ketone, by they start choking. They start choking. They can't, right. they, can't, they can't chew this. They can't eat this stuff. So we use, uh, we, we use ketogenic diets. And of course, then we use a couple of small drugs to push those blood sugars down. We can push those blood sugars down enormously low. Metformin, like, other, like basically diabetic well, or uh, that, drugs? You know, that's, uh, that, that's, you know, so weak compared to the okay. things we can do. You know, why do metformin when you can, when you, when you can do 2-deoxyglucose and, and, uh, and a couple of other drugs 10 times more powerful okay. than metformin? So, so uh, they love metformin. Wow, met, metformin. Metformin is not going to cure cancer. Let me tell you that right now. Right. So, so I'm not saying it's going to hurt you. I mean, you might be able to throw a little bit of that on there. You know, it's a, we're, in for, we're, we're going for the throat of this disease. We're not just pussyfooting around with it. Okay. Well, you push the blood sugar down. Now these tumor cells are at risk, right? And guess what? When you lower the blood sugar, all the normal cells in your body want that sugar. So they start putting out feelers for the sugar. And the next thing you know, they're stealing the sugar from the tumor cell that really needs it to survive because they can't use the right. ketone bodies. Right. Beautiful, elegant, non-toxic, elegant. So, and then we just throw in a little um, a drugs that uh, stress the glutamine level. And, and uh, we put the patient in hyperbaric oxygen chamber only when they're in therapeutic ketosis. So guess what? The tumor cells use glucose and glutamine, they put a protective shield around themselves because they, they, so when you go to irradiate them or use these toxic poisons, they say, oh, these tumor cells are so tough. They resist and they adapt to all this stuff because right. they're using glucose and glutamine. It's the shield. It builds antioxidants inside the tumor cell. So the very mm. fuel that they're using to grow puts a protective shield around them against radiation and chemo. So when I- So you're killing your healthy cells more than you're killing the cancer cells yeah. in some- and get a get a load of this. Here's here's what's another bizarre thing. If you want to know how absurd this whole cancer field is, so because you get sick from the chemo they give you, they often give you steroids to increase your appetite, to make you eat more. And then the steroids, oh, I'm sick as a dog because the guy poisoned and irradiated me. Now I'm going to give him steroids to get his appetite back. Steroids raise the blood sugar, makes the guy eat more, and fuels the tumor cells. Right. It's insane. It's absolutely insane. It's a horrible cycle. Yeah, it's, uh, because people don't know what they're doing. They don't understand the biology of the disease. If they really understood the biology of the disease like we and several others do, you would never do the things you're doing to these cancer patients. Right. It's insane. It's absolutely nuts. Yeah, and it, it sounds like there's emerging research and case studies that, that are proving your thesis here. That well, folks uh, on well, well, this thesis was proven by Otto Warburg a long time ago. Right. It's interesting because it seems like along the same time, uh, the, the case against fat was litigated I, we had gary taubes who wrote you know some of the books around right. how sugar was you know pumped and right. fat was demonized and now our diets has really shifted towards something very amenable to, right. to you know the, the metabolic theory of, of cancer so i think it's like do you think those are tied together like yeah. uh, i mean it sounds like there's like a, a one-two punch here yeah. where yeah. you see this both of these curves going up at the same time right I, and i i think this is just it's just a matter of time because we're working uh, with physicians in different countries uh, that have a little bit more flexibility. They're not yoked right. uh, into, into treating cancer with this, with this uh, rigid uh, standard of right. care that you must do, otherwise you can right. lose your license to practice medicine. 
Right. This is another n- uh, crazy thing. So, so they have no flexibility. You got to treat, you got to mutilate people. You got to nuke them and poison them to make them healthy. Right? Right. This is what you got. Absolutely. You know, and there's, and they have all, all shape, shapes and sizes of these different procedures to fit your yeah. own personal lifestyle. <laughs> you know what I'm saying, you know, yeah. you know, taking somebody's breasts off or removing their prostate or colon or something like this. You know, there's, we got the surgeons in there and then we got the chemical guys and then we got the radiation guys and we got all these guys, you know, and they're all doing that. You don't need to do any of that. Well, all you have to do is, is starve the cell of their two prime fuels and put them into hyperbaric oxygen. There's a few other things that I haven't gone through. It's, it's, it's a, but it's not that complicated. Right. So, so the argument is, um, where's the clinical trials to prove this? We don't believe anything until we have a clinical trial. Sure. Okay. We, we have almost 100 years of hard biochemistry to say that what I'm saying is absolutely correct. Otto right. Warburg supported this. And, right. have, and Otto Warburg's research has been has been verified, validated over and over again. You don't right. need a clinical trial if you have a few functional brain cells to read the literature, right? right. Okay, that is just going to confirm what we already know from preclinical models and from a, a, a lot of hard science. Right. This is not hocus pocus mumbo jumbo. This is based on hard, rigid, replicatable science. Right. So you say, why is it not being done in the clinic? Because we have a culture of cancer as a genetic disease where the series of therapies based on stopping the proliferation by smashing the DNA, by doing all these other kinds of things. Right. You, can do, you can achieve the same thing without toxicity if you starve them of their fuels. And you have yeah, it, yeah. It just seems like in a, almost in every domain, there's a few key thought leaders, and obviously, I know like you know doctors out there are, are trying to do well and good, but just, they're just training the system that's indoctrinating them as a, treating as a genetic disorder. Yes, it's a it's a tragedy, and and, yeah. and and you don't and you don't see these poor people, these physicians, that are being trained in in uh, knowing how much radiation you need to give a person before you start killing. Right. You know, it's what are you doing that in the first place for? You know, right. you don't need to do that. Well, we have it's, to do that. It's like amputating yeah. limbs before penicillin existed, right? Like I'm sure those surgeons, battlefield surgeons, thought they were doing good. They were going to amputate so you don't die of gangrene. But yeah. now we have new technology, new understanding, or at least old understanding coming back. Uh, yeah, well, it, to be like, hey, there's a, there's a smarter way to do this. Yeah, well, it, it's it's a do- it's also a dogma. Um, a, a dogma is, is, um, it's an irrefutable truth. It's a, it's a mind, it's a mindset. Dogma is what we have in religion. Okay. Uh, it's a powerful when, when you have a dogmatic view, it's, you cannot change. It's a cultural dogmatic view of how something is. And right. let me tell you the a dogmatic view uh, is more powerful than any gene that ever has ever been defined on the planet. You know, uh, a dogma is so powerful in controlling the way the mind views the world. Right. I mean, there was a time when when uh, many scientists thought the uh, Earth uh, was the center of the solar system and the sun revolved around the Earth. And if you challenged that dogmatic view, you were either executed or 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 banned banned. Or, or excommunicate. Yeah, you're, you're yeah, you're basically hunted down by the Inquisition yeah, or excommunicated. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, to to say that Copernic, I support Copernican view of the of the solar system. You were thrown in jail or or killed like Bruno. Yeah. Uh, I mean, so we have the same dogma in the cancer field. It's just <laughs> as powerful as what the the heliocentric uh, resistance to the geocentric view of the universe. Right. It's that powerful. Yeah. It's you. 
if you go to a top medical school and say, listen, uh, Dr. So-and-so, I would like you to, to uh, I would like my ca cancer to be ma ma uh, managed using metabolic therapy. They'd be like, you're nuts. You're, you're doing some woo-woo, like Steve Jobs crazy stuff. But it's not, yeah. it's not like, no, this is some real fundamental science yeah. here. And then, I agree. And yeah. then what they'll say, and this is what happens all the time. Well, you know, this guy will say, yes, I've heard of that. I'm not really sure whether it's going to work. But uh, I'll tell you what I'll do. Let me do the standard of care first. And if it doesn't work, then maybe we'll consider metabolic therapy. Right. And all right, so you're going to poison and irradiate me. And I know like we have a, a we have a huge literature to say, and I'm not going to survive very long if you do this. And you right. could do that to me before you want to do something else. Right. <laughs> you know, it's just right. so you're locked into the dogmatic view of what you have to do. Yeah, no, I, I feel like we see a tidal shift of of community and people that are looking at the research from and, and data from firsthand. So as you as you might know you know in in the biohacking community that we have you know listening to the podcast and a lot of us do intermittent fasting so i personally do a 36 hour fast every single week yeah. uh, i eat fairly keto i'll cycle in and out of keto you know a ketogenic diet and my intent was not uh, when i first started fasting was not to you know ward off cancer although i think in some of your recent literature you you're talking about you know a preventative measures using fasting to prevent cancer uh, development but it was mainly for optimization right. um right. i'm a relatively healthy right. person uh, i don't need to lose weight but there's very interesting uh, benefits of ketones over or ketosis over glycolysis they want to tap into for energy yeah. uh, more metabolic efficiency right. um I, and I think if you just look at the interests of the communities and the Google trends of ketogenic diets, right. ketosis, exogenous ketones, right. I think you see a groundswell. Yeah. And, and on top of that, on top of like the case against sugar yeah. uh, with some of these popular science writers, um, I, I think we do see a, a, a tidal shift in, in, in community and in, in popular opinion that, hey, uh, maybe there's something we can shift with our diet, with our protocols to enhance not just yeah. performance, but also potentially prevent disease. Yeah, well, that, I, that, that you're absolutely right about that. And, and that's why we published the Glucose Ketone Index Calculator, uh, right. which is a way for everyone who wants to get like you. And if, in other words, if you do a 36-hour fast, you have to ask yourself, am I in therapeutic ketosis? Right. All right? So, and the answer is we, we developed this because of, of, of the problem and can it became it was actually done to help cancer patients but we're realizing now it's the general population is seems to be more interested in this than the onco the oncology community it's really amazing <laughs> yeah. because yeah. uh we my my students and I built the, the glucose Indo index cal which is extremely simple uh it, you take the little meter um which is a medicines meter from Abbott you can get them on Amazon i think they're only about 35 or 40 dollars and then the precision extra like yeah, basically a ketone extra. meter and a glucometer yeah yep. glucometer so so yep. Uh, we tried to get Ab. We asked Abbott, "Yeah, you should put the calculator in your meter." Oh, there's no market for this, right? Because they're looking at type one diabetics as their only market. Right. All right. of a sudden, now you and thousands of other people are looking into this, and they're saying, "Hey, I want to be. How do I know if I'm in therapeutic ketosis?" So right. we 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 built um, uh, and validated it on on on, on normal uh, animals and people and and cancer. And if you can get a a, a ratio of 1.0 or below, you're in therapeutic ketosis. And some people get them down to like 0 0.7, 0 0.8, you know, really low uh, ratio. So, so, so it's glucose over ketone, yes. blood beta hydroxybutyrate. Yes, but the, okay. what's so what's so interesting is that the meters read the blood sugar in milligrams per deciliter, right. and they read the ketones on the same drop in millimoles. In millimole. Okay, okay. Right. so you have to convert milligrams to deciliter into millimole. 
So you can divide right. millimolar by millimolar and then you right. get this unit value. It's a singular right. number. And right. for example, if you go out and eat a big lunch, just say you have, um, okay, big bowl of rice and some, uh, uh, you know, n nice piece of meat and, and uh, potatoes or whatever you're going to eat. Well, you're going to have very low ketones and you're going to have very high blood sugar. So right. if you do the ratio, you'd probably uh, look at um, a, a number about 50, 40 to 50 would be your right. GKI. Well, yep. to be in therapeutic ketosis, you need to be 1, 1.0 or lower. Right. <clears throat> right. So you're not going to be eating potatoes and rice and bread. Right. All so this quick, quick back of the envelope calculation uh to convert milligram over deciliter you need to do times or uh or millimole to milligrams yeah. as you got to do times 18 yes yeah. so yes yeah yeah so you you divide the milligram per deciliter by 18 and that gives Correct. you the millimolar now the right. calculator does all that for you right so uh, as a matter of fact the company just uh licensed that from us um it's called heads up health it's out there in silicon valley Okay. Uh, one of these guys that was working in Silicon Valley decided that he needs to. So he set this little app up, Heads Up Health. And what it okay. does is it takes the calculator and also it monitors how much you eat, what kind of food you're eating, what your exercise level is, all the different things that you would do in a course right. of the day. And then you get your GKI, your glucose right. ketone index. And then you'll know precisely whether you're in therapeutic ketosis or not. Right. And it just gives you the power to know. And then people share this information with each other. Hey, you know, I, I, I ate this and I didn't throw myself out of ketosis. Right. And, and it becomes right. like a big game. Uh, yep. Oh, what are you doing? And then we found out that dark red wines don't throw you out of ketosis. But beer, beer, oh yeah, you can. And then people share. It's like a community of people sharing right. all of the. I'll definitely have a link to that because I think a lot of, you know, I have finger pricked myself many, many times. Yeah. So I, I know general the ranges of all of that. So it's, it's actually not trivial to get to a 1.0 uh, oh, ratio no no i mean i'm just thinking about it like for myself i mean uh getting to you know 3.0 yes. 4.0 millimolar ketones is non-trivial no it's not. Um, no no it's hard i mean it, it's very hard to do it nutritionally i think yeah. i've tried to do it nutritionally and i think you get maybe you know 1.0 1.5 well if you eat if you fast yeah, you yeah. can get into the 2.5 i did a seven day fast yeah. uh in january and hit 5.4 millimole yeah. Um, so it, yeah, so, you're, you're, yeah. you're, you're in a very, uh, select group. Let's put it this right. way. You, you, let's go around, <laughs> let's go down to a, a local bar and ask these guys to fast for seven days, right? What kind of response no, you're going to get? Even in San Francisco, like, you're not, even with all those people out there, there's not going to be many people like, yeah, no, I, it, they'll be like, what the hell? How is that even possible? Are you going to starve to death? <laughs> you know, I, my, when I told my father when he was sick before he passed away, he had diabetes. I said, "Dad, you gotta you gotta fast for seven days to get healthy." He looked at me, he says, "You do it and tell me what it's like." <laughs> <laughs> have you done? Have you done extended no, fast? No, the longest I've gone was three days. Okay. You know, I haven't pushed myself to this. So you know, we're not here to torture people, uh, right. uh, and I'm not saying making people do a seven day fast. If you do it because you want to do it, that's that's okay. But you know, when you're sick. And you've got cancer and then somebody tells you, hey, you can't eat for seven days. They don't want to hear that. All right. right. Is there any other way? But otherwise, I think you might want to hear that over, hey, take a lot of chemo, yeah. get irradiated and yeah. then get opened up. Right. It's like I'd rather not eat for seven days. Well, you don't, like, have, it's not you don't have to do that. You just have to stop right. eating for maybe 24 hours or 36 hours just to get your body a little prepped. Right. And then we then we use the ketogenic diet, uh, right. a well, nutritionally balanced ketogenic diet that will bring you into therapeutic ketosis much faster, much higher, with a lot less difficulty. 
So rather than going for seven days without eating, well, yeah, you'll be in therapeutic ketosis. There's no question about it. But can I get there a little faster and a little easier? Yeah. Have you looked at exogenous ketones, ketone salts, ketone esters? Yeah. I think that's an area of interest of us personally because, hey, there's a lot of interesting research coming out of the Clark Veatch groups around, hey, you can really pick up yes. your key blood ketone levels really, really quickly. Well, it can, but you've got to be careful about some of those things. Um, not that I'm saying some of them, because, you know, I have friends that are working in the field and they right. do this and that. Um, yeah, but you got to, but very few people are doing that uh, w- w- while measuring their GKI. They're not using mm-hmm. the meters. So in other words, uh, you're in therapeutic ketosis, hypothetically. Okay, let's drink a, a glass of, of uh of this ketone mixture that this guy just told me about. All right, well, great. What is that doing to your index now? We don't have the common guys like you and others who are here. Let me show you my data. And look at, here's when I just drank the ketone. Look at how, oh man, I got into a higher, but how long did it last? Right. Right. Uh, You, you know, you can only last in those zones for a very short period of time. So uh, what, what I'm not saying that keep that they can't, they can't help us. But if you look at the ingredients on some of them, they have too much carbohydrate in it. If you have carbo, any carbohydrate while you're drinking, you're going to piss it right out. You, right. You, and then, oh, look, at, you're going to take the urine stick and say, look how high my ketones are. It's coming right. out of your system as fast as you're making it. Right. right. So uh, your body is excreting it. It's only when your blood sugar is low that your body is going to keep those ketones in your body and you're going to stay in, in sustained therapeutic ketosis. So that's why you need the blood meter, not the urine sticks. Right. You really need absolutely. Yeah, I think blood is is definitely like the like the, yeah. the core biometric. I know that for certain ketone esters, yeah. I mean, if you, you you can't pick it up because it's being processed. Through, right, it's right. being processed. Yeah, absolutely, really, you really need the blood and to do the to get the real accurate index. You know, right. And you don't have to do it every day. I know the cancer patients; some of them do it every day because they want to know if they're if they're if they're one point zero or below, they're killing tumor cells. All right, right. So they got a motivation to do this. Right. But but I'll be surprised. I mean, I'm surprised at how health, uh, normal, healthy young people pride themselves in getting ratios below 1.0 and then, <laughs> and then bragging that I kept my index below one for three days. You know, it's like, oh, <laughs> it's like running the marathon here. You know, so. Uh, yeah, no, I, I think it, there's definitely a title shift in yeah. thinking about uh, how we treat our bodies as a system. I, I think it's very much that bio that the hacker ethos to be like hey i want to be the most optimal yes. productive version of myself right um right yeah if, absolutely and if as i said in my book on chapter 19 for for cancer prevention if you right. can get yourself down into the into therapeutic ketosis for you know three to five days uh you're you're blasting the crap out of these incipient tumor cells your body right. is going through and it's just gobbling them up and eating them so before right. they can take off and start growing as a, a as a, a neoplasm, which is an dis, different uh, dysregulated growth of cells, your body is killing them. So right. uh, um, so therapeutic ketosis, I always say, is is a place to visit, but it's not a place to live. All right, hmm. you visit the you visit the zone periodically, but you don't live in the zone. Uh, living in the zone changes the way your brain works. All right. Hmm. You, you start to become a different person in many different ways. Interesting. Yeah. It's, I, I'm curious, yeah. Well, so basically, if you're just fully ketotic all the time, you're, you're saying that, hey. Uh, you have to avoid okay. so many things in the environment to maintain constant therapeutic ketosis. Therefore, your social interactions change. Your view of the world changes. Your whole mind of yourself in the universe changes. 
So, so, uh, uh, you know, this that was part one of this week's episode of the Thinking Podcast. Stay tuned for part two 